Amen. Let's give the Lord praise for what he's done for us. He is risen victoriously, just like he said. Amen. Some of you out there may be thinking, what do I have to rejoice about? You know, uh, Thursday night, I was kind of bumming it myself. You know, I, I looked on Facebook and and all these negative and upset people. Uh, I got really discouraged looking at Facebook Thursday night, the hurting that was going on, just all the stuff. And so I thought I'd go watch the news because, you know, they're never negative and they never upset me. And so I went and watched the news and guess what? I saw more negativity and, and, and again, I became upset. And I don't mean mad, just really just it took me down a little bit. I was just bumming it, as I said. So I thought I'd watch a little TV. And I thought, you know, a good old TV show would lift me up. And now, after I watch that TV show, I can understand why people are negative and upset. Why this world has nothing really to offer us that will fulfill us. Again, there's lots of good things out there, but only Christ Jesus is what's going to is going to make us feel fulfilled or fulfill us. And so as I was, you know, the Lord kept telling me to go to prayer and finally I gave in to it. But as I was just, you know, praying and thinking about it, I kept hearing, be content, uh, be content. It just popped in my mind over and over. And, and so I began to think of scriptures and uh, of telling us to be content. And I remembered Paul's words in Philippians 4.11 Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. And boy, that really struck me because a state is a particular place or condition or a situation, a, a shape, a place that you're at at that moment. And, and that's the state. And Paul was saying to be content wherever you're at. And content means in a state of peaceful happiness. So Paul was saying that, hey, it shouldn't matter what's going on in our lives, that if Jesus is at the center of our life, we can be content in a state of peaceful happiness. And, and that is so true. And Paul, even in his own words there, if you go on and read through Philippians, he said, I know what it is to be poor. I know what it is to be rich. I know what it is to, to have this or have that, to be beaten, to be lifted up. I know all these things. But he knew that his contentment came from Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul went on to show us ways, I believe, in Philippians chapter 4, that, that we can step out and, and learn how to be content even in this time now. Even being locked in our homes or, or away from our families or away from work or whatever it may be, we can be content in our state. The first thing he said to us was rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So no matter where we're at, rejoice in the Lord always. And then rejoice some more. He said, let your gentleness be known to all men. He said, the Lord was at hand. And what that means is Jesus is coming soon. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks that this, these things are going to happen in the last days. Jesus said things were going to come against the, the people, against the world. And we must be content and prepare ourselves because Jesus 
is coming soon. Then he says, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then he talked about to seek peace and to seek uh, uh, God in whatever state you're in. And he said, finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, of good report, if there is any virtue, virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. That's what's going to bring us peace. That's where our, we will be found content in any any position, any place we're in, we can have peace because our joy is in Jesus. So now when I say, out, re, say it again, rejoice. He is risen victoriously, just as he said. Jesus has made a way for us to be fulfilled. And that fits right into where we're at today as I begin to pray and think more on Thursday night. I noticed that the bumming became more of a joy inside uh, the Lord began to bubble up in me as I began to pray and read the word. And he reminded me Jesus was content. Jesus went to the cross for mankind in a state of peaceful happiness. Man, can we even gather that? That Jesus was perfectly content to be scourged, in other words, beaten and flogged for me. Jesus was perfectly content to be mocked for me. Jesus was perfectly content to be crucified for me. Jesus was perfectly content to die for me. Rejoice. Jesus isn't in the grave. He was risen victoriously, just as he said, so that we too can be content in him, that we can be in a state of happiness and peace, that we can rejoice in the most difficult times. Praise his name today. Wednesday night, and again, it's online if you want to listen to it. We talked about the, uh, the steps to the cross. And we talked about uh, from Sunday, Palm Sunday. We talked about what happened on Monday. We talked about what happened on Tuesday. We talked about what happened on Wednesday. And we talked about what happened on Thursday. Today, I'm going to talk to you about uh, uh, steps to the resurrection, things that Jesus did for us. And I've already named these four things, but... But I'm going to be reading from Matthew 27 and quoting from there a lot today. But as I said earlier, Jesus was per perfectly content being scorned for us. And in verses, Matthew 27, 26, it says, Then he released for Barnabas, or excuse me, then he released them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Guys, scourging meant that Jesus was stripped completely naked. Uh, he was bound to a two-foot-high pole. His hands were tied over his head to a metal ring, and his wrists were securely shackled to the ring to restrain his body from movement. Jesus was tied up. He, uh, he was in a position where he could not move, and then they scourged him. And a scourge is a as a scourge whip is a short wooden handle that was 18 to 24 inches long that had 18, uh, 18 to 24 inch uh, strap, leather strap. At the ends of these straps were pieces of leather with sharp pieces of metal, wire, glass, jagged fragments of bones. 
and that Jesus took 40 lashes plus. Some scholars believe he took even more than that. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the Romans were occupying the Jews, and they did not like each other. And this was supposed to be the king of Jews. And three to 500 soldiers were around at this time, and, and this was the king of the Jews. So I guarantee you he took the 40 for sure, if not more. And, and I could get into the gruesome part of that, and I could gross everybody out by, by the pictures and all that. But I, I just was blown away as I was studying this last Thursday night that Isaiah prophesied what Jesus would look like in Isaiah 52, 14, after he was scored for us. It says, but many were amazed when they saw him prophesying about Jesus. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly even human. And from his appearance, one could scarcely know he was man. That's how mangled Jesus was after he took this scourging for us. Early church historians, they said the veins were laid bare and the very muscles, tissues, and bowels of the victim were open for exposure. Man, Jesus was content to take the scourging for you and I. He was at peace with God to take this scourging for you and I. The second thing that I noticed on this uh, Friday was from Matthew 27, uh, 29 through 31, is they mocked Jesus. And again, there was at least three to 500 uh, Roman soldiers there. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Some people believe that, that that scarlet robe actually came from the wardrobe of Caesar himself. They think that they brought it in and were mocking Christ as the king of the Jews. And so they wanted to dress him up like a statue of Caesar that was in the very room. A lot of people don't even know that, that the same image of, of they would dress Christ up like with a robe and with the twisted crowns of thorns uh, where they would bow and mock him and yell, Hell, Hell, King of Jews, and they would spit on him. And then they took the, this, this, this reed and put it in his hand. Well, even the coins that were made that day, that was a very picture of Caesar on that coin. They were mocking Jesus unbelievably, spitting on him, being horrible to him. But the thing that probably hit me the most that, that night was that Lately, I don't know if I've probably told you, but I really mangled this finger. And, and actually, I thought I cut it off when I first looked down. And, and it, you know, going through the healing process of this finger, I'd have to put a Band-Aid on it. And every night, it didn't matter how much stuff I put on that morning the, with the, the salve or whatever, when I'd pull that Band-Aid off, it hurt so bad because the blood would stick to it. The Lord hit me that when they pulled that robe from Jesus, that, that garment that was Caesar's, that it literally ripped the blood and the wounds back open again from his bed. It was just a reoccurring of pain. And he took this mocking, and he was at peace with it because he loved you and I. On Friday, he was crucified. The Bible says, in being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Man, he was even content with the cross. He was at peace with the cross again because 
he loved you and I. He was hoisted up on a rope after they had, uh, had nailed the, the nails in his hands and his wrists, excuse me. And they put him up and they rose, they rose him up by a rope with a crossbeam and they dropped it into the notch on the upright post. They said the weight of that drop a lot of time would dislocate and pull the arm sockets out. As they nailed Jesus' feet to the cross to take a breath, he had to rise up to catch that breath, but it hurt so bad that he would have to give in and relax, and that would hurt bad because he couldn't breathe. But several hours they tormented him on the cross until Jesus' heart began to fail. His lungs would begin to collapse. Fluids would begin filling in his, the lining of his heart and lungs, again, adding to this slow process of death we know the story the romans would pierce his side and water and blood would run and we know that our christ died that day something that i wanted to make note of is jesus was offered anesthetics twice because of the pain and the torment that endured on the cross once before and once while he's dying on the cross and both times he didn't need to count on anesthetics to bring him peace. He was content to be crucified for you and I. As I said, he was died that day, he died that day and he was buried. He was examined by the disciples, the officers from Pilate's courts, chief priests, and elders of the Pharisees, Sadducees, all those, I'm sure, were demanding to examine his body. Other groups verified his bodies, those that saw, or verified his death, those that saw him die on the cross, Joseph that carefully laid him in the tomb, Nicodemus that provided embalming solutions, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were by his side the whole way. The Roman guards checked the tomb to make sure that, that his body was there and that he was dead and that it was secured before they rolled the stone in to close the door. That Roman officer, official that was responsible for that, witnessed all of it. Many, many people witnessed that Christ died for us and Jesus was perfectly content to die for you and I. Why? Because he knew God and God had a perfect plan. So again, we put our trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We now can experience the totality of God and, and see what Jesus is and, and was and live like him. And we too can find contentment in all of our situations. We too can rejoice. Jesus isn't in the grave he has risen victoriously, just as he said, and so can we. I want to read from you now, Matthew 28, 1 through 10. And after the Sabbath ended, at the first light of dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other, other Mary went to take a look at the tomb. Suddenly the earth shook violently beneath their feet as an angel of the Lord Jehovah descended from heaven. Lightning flashed around him, and his robe was dazzling white. The guards were stunned and terrified, lying motionless like dead men. And then the angel walked to the, up to the tomb, 
rolled away the stone and sat on top of it. The women were breathless and terrified until the angel said to them, there's no reason to be afraid. I know you're here looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen victoriously just as he said. Come inside and see the place where our Lord was lying. Then run and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. I give you his message. I'm going ahead of you into Galilee and you will see me there. So they rushed quickly to tell the disciples and their hearts were deep in wonder and filled with great joy. Along the way, Jesus suddenly appeared in front of them and said, Rejoice! They were so overwhelmed by seeing him that they bowed down and grasped his feet in adoring worship. Then Jesus said to them, Throw off all your fears. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will find me there. Jesus was telling us the same thing, to be content at peace no matter where we're at in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said to them, rejoice, rejoice and throw off your fears. What fears do you have today? What concerns do you have today? What is holding you down? What is bumming you out? And I say to you, rejoice, rejoice and do not be afraid. A lot of you, again, need to be reminded, I know I do, of the things that we can rejoice about. We need to rejoice today because there was a price to pay for sin, and Jesus paid that price. The Bible said, for the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid that price. We have something to rejoice about today. Why? Because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone was sinners, but Christ died for us. We need to rejoice in that. We need to rejoice that Christ did this for us. A lot of you say, you know, what's the big deal? When Jesus was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason he said that is for an instant, he didn't feel the Lord God. Why? Because he took on the sins of the world. When you're in a sin state, you cannot experience the things of God. That's why we rejoice is because we have a Savior who bore our sins in his body on a tree that we, having, uh, that we might be, live for righteousness, that we by his stripes may be healed. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Rejoice, Jesus saves us from sin. Rejoice too, Jesus saves us from hell. You know, I hear a lot of times from uh, scholars, I, I hear a lot of talk everywhere about hell. Some aren't comfortable with hell. Some feel the existence of hell is inconsistent with the concept of God's love. Some don't want to talk about it. They don't want to believe about it. They don't want to even say it's existing at all. And you know what? And sorry that I'm this frank, but it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says there is a hell. 
I could share you 40 scriptures that talk about hell. It does exist. The Bible says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from righteousness and throw them into a fiery furnace in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then he, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. The Bible even goes to the point it talks about who will be in hell. The cowardly, the faithless. Get the faithless? The ones that didn't believe in Jesus. The detestable, the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the adulterers, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There is a hell. And guys, don't you think that for a minute there's not? And something that probably hit me the most Thursday night when I was writing this message was we looked at all hell that was thrown against Jesus, the Son of God. Look at all that happened to Jesus on Friday night and all the things that he went through, the scourging, the pain, the affliction, the mocking, all that. Satan threw all hell at Jesus trying to kill him. And that's what hell's going to be like. And don't think it's going to be good. But again, the worst thing at all, of all about hell is there's no presence of God. People don't realize there's a presence of God that, that hovers all across this earth, that, that God's in this room with us today, that God's in the room with you. God exists everywhere. That, that there won't be that way in hell. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Man, that's the most horrible thing about hell is that at least this world can get so tough that, that we can run to God and, and, and at least get a touch. And I think that's what a lot of people do. They like to play with God. You know, I'm going to sin tomorrow, but, but I'm going to go get some loving today. Well, hell, there's no existence of God. You're going to know the fulfillment and satisfaction that's there and won't be able to receive it. So today, we need to rejoice because Jesus saves us from hell. That's why Jesus was content to take the beating, the scourging, the, the mocking, all these horrible things so that you didn't have to. That's something that we have to rejoice in today. We need to rejoice, number three, that death has no hold on the believer. Note I say the believer. Hell has a hold on the unbeliever. Death has a hold on the unbeliever. But Jesus' word says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, and even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Man, I, I was thinking of my granddad and my grandpa. Man, I, I used to love hanging out with them on the farm and going fishing with granny and granddad and, and scaring the tar out of grandma with their motorcycles ramping in the front yard. Man, I, I love my grandparents and, 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 and just my family. And those that passed on to be with the Lord, I get to see them again someday. God has prepared a place for them. Jesus has prepared a place for them. And the believer, 
gets to be reunited not only with their family and friends, but their, their God Almighty and their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you would go to a funeral that I would give of a believer, it would be a celebration. Because when we uh, pass on from this life and go to sleep from this life, uh, we go to heaven and we're with God forever. And I, I'm going to say this prayer at a funeral. I'll say to the people, let us pray. And then I'll say, Almighty God, in your hands, we give you Steve Diggs in sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This body we commit to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Amen? Man, that's a, a wonderful thing to be able to celebrate at the believer's funeral that they're with God. But Jesus will come back someday. He could come tomorrow and we will celebrate again that death has no hope on us. And guys and girls, that in this scripture that I just read to you out of Revelation 14, 13, um, blessed. Blessed here means happy to be envied. And other pe people are going to envy what we have. Happy here means enjoying and characterized by well-being. Again, contentment. There's that word content. The happiness and the blessing that we so desire is being content in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, I love this one. And I'm going to read it slow to you, but 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55, it talks about that, that what Christ does for us, that he saves us from death. In the words in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, when the perishable, in other words, this earthly body, puts on the imperishable, meaning our heavenly bodies, and the mortal, meaning earthly life, puts on immortality, eternal life, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up by victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your sting? Man, isn't that powerful today? Man, I, I should be seeing some emojis right there. Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you, Father, for heaven, this new life. And that's what I want to close with saying today. Rejoice because Jesus brings us new life. I posted on Facebook a couple of days ago, and i to be honest with you, I was kind of disappointed in, in your response. But I ask you to post scriptures, or excuse me, uh, pictures, uh, photos uh, that demonstrate new life. And my buddy Doug McKibben, he uh, sent me a picture of a cow that just had a calf and I posted it on there. Man, that's beautiful. That was new life, a new creation. Uh, I posted a picture of my mother's red bud or white bud tree in the front yard. I posted some other pictures on there that, that represented new life that spring brings. That, that's why I love spring so much because the, the daffodils, the danquails, all these things that are coming to life, this new life. And that's what Jesus gives us. New life from that old cruddy life that we had before. And he gives us a life of contentment in him. And I want to read from you at Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. Woo! Man, doesn't that bless you today? That's what we have. To, that's, that's what we can experience right now, but that's what we get for all eternity. God himself will be there with them and they will be, and, and he will be their God. I'm getting so excited. I can't even read the scripture. Man, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Man, how many of you have cried lately over the pain and hurt that's in your life? You will be content in the Lord and he'll wipe away every pain and tear. There shall be no more death. Again, guys, when you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, he took hold of death. He took hold of it and there's no more death. There's no sorrow. Man, man, I, I'll be looking so much to no sorrow, man. No cry. There should be no more pain. You know, again, I, I smashed this ping, finger a month ago, and you can see it's even healed up, but I can still feel pain if I hit it just right. No more pain, but no more pain from the cruel affliction that, that's on our lives. He said, for the former, former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write for these words on a, write for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Do you thirst today for Jesus? Because it's free. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Do you believe in him? You're going to inherit all things. And I'll be his God and he shall be my son. Man, that is so awesome. Praise God for that. But I remind you that we can rejoice because Jesus has paid the price. Jesus went down and took the keys of Hades and death, Revelation 1.8 says. He's made a way for us to be content in him so we can rejoice that jesus paid the price for our sin we can rejoice because jesus saved us from hell we can rejoice because the cross brings us salvation and we can rejoice because jesus brings us new life heaven and then we can rejoice again and we can rejoice again and we can rejoice again. But I say to you today, are you right now 100% sure that you would go to heaven if you would die? Lord forbid that that would happen. But what if Christ come back today? Are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? If not, then you better repent and give your life to Jesus. A lot of you out there may be saying, I can't see Jesus. I can't see the Holy Spirit. You guys are crazy. Let me ask you something. Can you see the virus that's sweeping the land? Can you see the pandemic that's sweeping the land? 
then I ask you, why are you hiding in your houses? Why are we wearing masks? Why are we quarantined? Why are we not working? Why are we not playing ball? Why are we not doing the things that we used to do? We can't see this. We can't see this virus. We can't see this thing going on around us. But we can see the results of it. We can see the effects of it. And that's the same way as it is with Jesus Christ. I promise you that if you accept him as your Lord and Savior today, he's going to move upon you and you're going to experience him. Just me talking about Thursday night, he laid this sermon out. He talked to me. He walked with me. He's with me. There's nothing better than experiencing the presence of God. I want the presence of God more than anything. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body. So we shouldn't fear this virus, this pandemic or cancer or, or, or whatever may be plaguing our lives. We shouldn't fear those things. Remember what Jesus said? He said, rejoice in me and cast all your fears on me in the scripture that we read today. He wants you to give it all to him. But I want to ask you one last thing if you're still doubting whether you need Jesus or not. We are protecting ourselves from a, a virus that physically kills a half to 1% of the population, and that's the world's statistics. So a half a percent or a percent is what this virus is killing of the world's population. If you're 80 years old and older, you have a 9% chance of death, 9%. And again, I'm not making light of these things. I, I, I pray for and, I, and I'm praying for those that are sick. But we've shut our lives down to protect ourselves from a virus that has a half a percent chance to a percent chance to at most 9% chance of killing the body when we know that, that sin, Satan, will kill 100% of our souls that sin will send us to hell it's guaranteed what steps are we taking to protect ourselves from sin and that's taking the antidote jesus christ our savior that's taking great steps and measures to see that we live a life of righteousness and trying to get to know the lord better that we put work behind us, that we put sports behind us, that we put everything behind us and focus on Jesus the same way that we're doing with this virus. We put all those things behind us to focus on the virus. We need to put everything behind us and just focus on Jesus because he loves us more than anything. And again, his own words were, rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. One day, every one of us, the Roman soldiers that crucified him, the Roman soldiers that chose him as Christ that day, every one of us saved or sinner, we're all going to bow a knee to Jesus 
Philippians 2, 9 and 11 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. That means everybody's going to bow their knee to Jesus and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father forever and forever. Are you 100% sure that you know the Lord? Are you 100% sure that your family knows the Lord, your friends, your boss, your neighbors? If not, you can rejoice because Jesus has the keys of Hades and death. Jesus has made a way for us to lead people to Christ. We can rejoice because he paid the price for sin. We can rejoice that he saved us from hell. We can rejoice that the cross brings us to salvation. We can rejoice Jesus brings us new life. It's not over. All you have to do is say these words. Father, Jesus, come into my heart today. The word says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses, confession is made unto salvation. Guys, rejoice. Jesus was perfectly content at peace to do all this stuff for you because he loves you today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's our choice today. I choose Jesus. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, I ask that you minister to each person that's listening today. Father, each person that's outside in their cars listening. Father, people watching on TV land. And Father, we just lift them to you now. And Father, I know your Holy Spirit has spoken to them. And Father God, that as you dealt with me to be content, to quit bumming it, be content in who I am in Jesus Christ. And we do that by rejoicing in you and thanking you and pressing into your word, prayer, and all those things. And we'll find that fulfillment that we so desire. Lord, I pray that across this land, Father, that you would touch every individual out there, that you administer to them, Lord, that, that we would repent and make sure our lives are where they need to be with you because you love us so much, Lord. You're perfectly content, at peace, for giving it all up for us. And we thank you for that today.